This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was drowning and I felt like a bad mom. My kids struggle with so many things and I was like, surely I should know how to help them. And I honestly, I don't. And I'm overwhelmed by the meltdowns and the aggression and the screaming and the food refusal and all of the pieces of of their puzzles that I started to think that this was my fault because I didn't have that help yet, because I didn't know anybody in my life, my, my real life who had a kid like mine, then I internalized all of this shame and and guilt. Help comes from professionals. Support comes from peers. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. All right, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your background? How and why did you get interested and involved in supporting mothers of neurodivergent children? Yeah, of course. So I have three kids. I have 10-year-old twins and a seven-year-old. I'm a former uh, fifth grade teacher. I taught for 15 years and um, I left the classroom two years ago. I have my own neurodivergent kids and I've been on a long journey of accepting myself as a mom, learning how to be okay with the guilt and the shame that often comes with raising neurodivergent kids, um, wanting to make sure that I do what's best for my children, but not always knowing what that is. And so in my journey of loneliness and isolation and anxiety and depression, I realized that there's got to be other moms out there like me. And I've been on this mission to not only find them, but connect them with each other um, so that we can all start feeling better um, in our motherhood journeys. I am blown away by the connection piece of your model. And I can't wait for our audience to hear more about it because and I also appreciate you sharing so openly, like so much of parenting is lonely. It is isolating the shame, the guilt that comes with lots of different aspects of it. And I love that you've really carved out this niche for these parents of neurodivergent children who really don't always get the attention that they should. So having said that, can we start just by explaining what does the term neurodivergent or neurodiverse mean? Yeah, of course. So I'm still learning, and I think it's this ongoing process of understanding. The best way that I explain neurodivergence and the way I internalize it as well is that it's just sort of the opposite of neurotypical. And by typical, what society puts as normal in quotes, right? Like if you have a child that feels like they're outside of the box, they just are not fitting in with what society deems normal, whether that's socially whether that's, you know, behaviorally, emotionally, there can be many different 
pieces to that. But a neurodivergent kid does not fit in the box in some way. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yet there's a ton of judgment and stigma around the concept. So that's not my uh, dictionary definition, but that's the one that I think of when I'm explaining it. And my audience listening today, primarily parents and caregivers of babies, somewhere between six, 12 months of age as they start and are in the middle of that transition to solid foods. In talking to you, I was interested to learn that with your twins, your boy-girl twins, the boy started exhibiting signs that were concerning to you. I don't know if concerning is the right word. Signs of neurodivergence, and you can correct me on how I should be saying that because I am I feel like I'm already tripping over myself regarding the language, no, but no, as no, early no. as 10 months of age. Can you yeah. talk or would you be willing to share what it was that you noticed? I mean, you're a first-time mom with twins. You're in the thick. When were you first like, whoa, maybe this is, as you said, outside the box or outside of what society would deem as quote unquote normal? Yeah, of course. And I also want to say too, that it took me, it was after the fact that I realized that things were not quite normal for my son. It was not immediate. And so I spent many years blaming myself for obviously doing something wrong, clearly clueless about how to be a mom, even though I thought I would know because I'm a teacher. And so I didn't know at the time that this was neurodivergence. In the coming years, there are so many pieces to the puzzle that I'm still uncovering even now. At 10 months of age, the very first thing that happened was that he started screaming. He was just flat out screaming. He was a calm baby. Everything had been seemingly fine up until that point, but constantly screaming. One thing later in the next couple months after that, he never crawled at all, never scooted, never moved. He never moved. He was able to pull himself up to stand And then from there, screamed, screamed, screamed all day, every day, because he wanted to move his body and could not. He eventually skipped crawling altogether and went right to walking. But I did not know at the time that that was not typical, that some sort of movement, whether even a butt scoot or, you know, any sort of odd way of getting around, but that there still needs to be something. What happened is later come to find out the lack of crawling was a vestibular system issue. So there was the, his, his arms and legs were not moving back and forth like they should in his, in his, the brain connection to that. From there, we started seeing sensory issues. So I have this one story that is always stuck in my mind. I had my twins in one of, in those little jumper things that you hang from the door, the top of the door, and they both were jumping. And I had the plastic top to a Brussels sprouts container and it's super crinkly. And I gave each of my twins a piece of that. My daughter absolutely loved it, crinkled, jumped up and down. And my son screamed this scream that sounded like he was in severe pain that I had never heard before. And I thought this, this was the first time I had ever seen him so upset over something that was supposed to be, I thought, fun for babies. And so from there, sensory things just continued. He ended up doing uh, an early intervention program. They did test him for autism at one and a half. They said no, but he was quote unquote quirky. And it just goes on from there. But the screaming began at that very young age. Can I ask if you notice, I mean, it's so interesting, right? We always look at twin studies, right? Obviously, they're not identical twins because they're boy-girl fraternal twins. But did you notice divergence with regards to their eating behaviors? You mentioned sensory issues. Was your boy twin like not into touching foods or averse to certain foods or had food refusal? Anything that you noticed in that latter half of infancy when a typically developing child would be starting that transition to solid foods that you can recall? Yeah, it's a good question. I think my son, he was um, more open to flavors, but textures were a challenge. So mushy, super mushy food, 
was a challenge. He went on in his toddler, once he got teeth in preschool years, to really, really seek out crunchy foods, that the crunch was was actually like a regulating tool for him. I also remember that he ate solid food, but he would shove massive, massive, massive pieces in his mouth, especially later when I was giving him like peanut butter sandwich, for example. He was not chewing. He was trying to just get it down his throat as fast as possible. There was a lot to it. (laughs) Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be... Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Right back. Okay, and then you went on to have, you have another child. Is that child neurodivergent as well? He, my seven-year-old, does have ADHD, sort of your classic type, both uh, hyperactive and inattentive. He otherwise has a, a neurotypical brain that we can tell, you know, there's not there's not a ton of other pieces to his puzzle as there are for my other two. He is my biggest eater and he is my bravest eater, but he also with that ADHD seeks out dopamine. And one of the ways that he gets it is from like spicy food, strong flavors, where my other two are much more resistant to any sort of flavors, my daughter especially. But again, you know, she's 10. So when you use the term neurodivergent, if neurodivergent or neurodiversity. It's not a medical term. It's not a condition. It's not a diagnosis. How do parents know if this pertains to your child? Like you said, in hindsight, obviously, as you became more educated and you you moved down the road, looking back, you realize some of this stuff. What is it that parents, you know, how do they know if this is happening to their child? This is such a giant gap and a huge societal problem because this is where it starts. Parents have concerns. Something doesn't seem right. Something doesn't feel right. And so they start to seek out professional help professionals often, not always, of course, but often say, well, they're still young, just wait a few years. Well, have you tried giving them two choices? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? You just need to tell them, hey, this is what we're eating today. Like this is what's on your plate or just show them that you're in charge or this is normal. They're a boy, all kinds of stereotypical judgmental comments. And it's hard to know when you have two or three or four professionals say those things to you, it starts to feel like, well, you know what? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong because no one else is is identifying this at a young age. And when you mentioned some sort of professionals, like I heard you say earlier, and I don't know if it was a little bit sarcastic, but oh, they just described him as quirky. And then you're like looking back now being like, oh, it was more than that. Like what sort of professionals were you seeing at the time? Especially, I think, you know, just the the 10 month old baby start screaming bloody murder when you're giving him a toy that, or a, a household device that, I guess it's not a device. It was the top of a Brussels sprout container, whatever the case may be, but you're watching the twin sister like totally fine with it. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What sort of professional help did you eventually seek out? I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Well, it was so many months of constant screaming and eventually there was a lot of rocking back and forth as well and sensory input, but only certain things and some sensory avoiding as well from, from my son. But in general, my most concerning thing was, why is he so sad all the time? Why is he so angry all the time? He doesn't even have words, but he is so not happy. And that does not seem right. Why wouldn't we live in a happy home? And 
So I was baffled where I went first, obviously my pediatrician, that was not the most helpful thing, but they did eventually say after I brought it up multiple times, why don't you call the early intervention that my state offers? And we ended up getting people out to our home. I'm not sure she must've been, I mean, she was a therapist of some sort. She was trying to evaluate him in our home. And that is when she did an autism evaluation there. But in that meeting, determined in her words that he was not autistic. Um, He still does not have an autistic diagnosis. Doesn't mean it's off the table, but it's still not there. But how old was the baby when that therapist was in your house watching this? Uh, One and a half, one and a half. Did you like that when they came in your house? Because I can see the advantage of like seeing a child in a pediatrician's office is one thing, but when they come into your home and you're watching the way the child interacts with the household and the built environment around them, as well as the siblings, caregivers, et cetera, or did that feel invasive to you? No, honestly, that was helpful for my son because he also has massive anxiety. And I didn't know what, you know, I I didn't know what that looked like in a baby at the time. But if we were to go somewhere, he would have been a totally different kid. He does mask in public and he has his entire life and he wouldn't have been comfortable enough to sort of be himself. So it was helpful to do this evaluation in my home with my toys, you know, um, his toys, be able to have them interact in the safety and comfort of his home because he is an anxious kid and always has been. So you mentioned diagnosis, that your son does not have a diagnosis of autism, but what conditions might a neurodivergent child have? That's a really great question. So neurodivergence can include so many things. There's really no uh, limit to it. In my children's case, between all three of my kids, we've got ADHD, we've got anxiety, um, we have OCD, we have a giftedness. My son is it's not a diagnosis, but like identified as a gifted learner. We have sensory processing disorder. And for my daughter, Arfid as well, not a diagnosis. I'm going to, I'm self-diagnosing her at this point, but I know from my research so far that we're looking at Arfid. A lot of pieces to the puzzle. Okay. Can we talk about Arfid? Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. You mentioned it to me before we started the interview that you suspect it. It's one thing to suspect it, but then treatment by a qualified professional, like, are you considering having her see a feeding therapist who specializes in this, or are you guys just going to deal with it internally? Well, we started, I did take her for a feeding team evaluation of sorts, did not find it that helpful, to be honest. They kind of said, well, it's not sensory related, which it's not. And I knew that it's anxiety and OCD related because it is mostly about the visual piece of food. If anything looks different at all. It's a total panic reaction that it might taste different, that it might be gross, that it might make her feel sick. And that obsessing over that is is where that comes in. So they did the evaluation and sort of said, you know, you can push forward with kind of a regular therapist. What ended up happening was I used, uh, I got, she has an OCD diagnosis and we went through nocd.com, which I believe has another website name as well, but no CD. And it's like better help, but for OCD. So it's all virtual and they connect you with therapists in your state and it's covered by insurance mostly. So I got her with a, a an OCD therapist and that therapist helped us with ARFID. Baby, baby steps. We didn't stick with her for too long. My daughter was kind of burning out, but I now know those basic steps to help her. When you mentioned that you went to a feeding team evaluation, was it hospital-based by any chance? Yes, it was. It was our, our local... Children's hospital. Okay. I, just as a registered dietitian working in the space, like I don't want you to give up on it just because, as you know, there's not, we were talking about this earlier too. Like, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. You're not everyone's cup of tea. Like, especially with feeding therapy, like 
trying a few other times if you're up for it, but I know you are like probably your wits end with all the therapy, but there are so many wonderful feeding therapists outside of the hospital setting that really do wonderful work with children with ARFID that if it is affecting her, her development with regards to suboptimal nutrient intake, like there really are amazing therapists out there. And I would hate to see families give up after one bad experience because we hear from families all the time that have had terrible experiences with feeding therapy, but persevered and pushed on to find that person who was that right fit. And it it really can be life-changing, not just only for the child, but for the entire family. Because obviously mealtimes, three times a day dealing with this is so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you make a good point. And we should. And I talked to her just the other day as she enters the preteen years that, you know, she's much more hesitant on help for anything. But I said, you know, this is an ongoing conversation and, you know, I'm always here and we can take some steps there, you know, there are things we can do. And meanwhile, there's things that I try to do at home. It's a battle. Hey, we're going to take a quick. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Break, but I'll be right back. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the community that you've created. I follow you on Instagram at On The Hard Days. I know you have a podcast of the same name, but you also have a community for parents of mothers who are raising neurodivergent children. And could you just share a little bit about what inspired you? Like you are already dealing with so much in your own household. I don't know how as a full-time teacher, you're like, oh, I'm also going to like help all these other parents on the side too, in addition to my kids. How did this whole community start? And tell yeah. us about it and how it operates. Well, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to do that. Yeah. So it actually started because I was drowning and I felt like a bad mom. Again, I my kids struggle with so many things and I was like, surely I should know how to help them. And I honestly, I don't. And I'm overwhelmed by the meltdowns and the aggression and the screaming and the food refusal and all of the pieces of, of their puzzles that I started to think that this was my fault because I didn't have that help yet, because I didn't know anybody in my life, my my real life who had a kid like mine, then I internalized all of this shame and, and guilt. And so I started the podcast in uh, January of 2021 because I wanted to just see and find out once and for all if there were other people out there like me. The podcast starts with me just talking. Actually, the very first episode is called My Rock Bottom Parenting Moment. It's about my son with the way I spread peanut butter on his waffle when he was three and the massive meltdown that came from that. But from there, I started to connect with moms on social media who said that their their kids sounded like mine. And I would say, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? They said, yes. Now I've got these moms sharing. And that's now what the podcast continues to be two plus years in. Every week, I share a mom's story, a regular mom. It's not advice driven. It's just moms who are saying, hey, this is what I go through and where I'm struggling and where I need help to validate my listeners. 
So from there, the podcast was coming great, but I, I would find myself on a Zoom call with these moms. We'd record and I'd be like, oh, okay, can we can we be friends? Like, can I have your number? I don't want to let you go. I finally, finally met someone and now you're just going to disappear from my life. And and so I realized like, I'm desperate here. I need friendships. I need people that I can vent to and talk to on a regular basis with no judgment who can say, hey, my school drop-off really sucked this morning too. Yes, like we're in the same boat. And so I searched online, what can I join? There's specific things for like autism or ADHD, but my kids have like 10,000 different things going on. And I'm not even here for my kids anyway. I'm here for me because I need to feel better. So I couldn't find anything. I started my own. It's called Mothers Together. Uh, and it started in uh, August of 2021. And now, you, so you're doing this in the pandemic on top of everything. Oh my God. Absolutely. You know, good times, you know. Literally <laughs> rock bottom parenting moment. Yeah. I love what you're talking about. Like asking someone on a podcast for their phone number. It happens to be all the time. I'm like, you're so cool. Can we please stay in touch? Because like, like what's going to happen after this? You know, you're going to go back to your busy world. or You're going to go back to your crappy drop-off morning and not have anyone to talk about yes. it. Okay. I want to ask your opinion too, because as someone who has run very large digital communities, how do you stop it from devolving into a total just SHIT talking fest, which sometimes I feel like parenting forums devolve into? Like, how do you, I know you're, you're big into facilitating positive experiences and conversations, but like, if you've had a really crappy day and you just want to vent, is there an opportunity for that there? Or do we always have to turn it positive? Like, tell me how you control that like tendency to go negative in parenting. That is such a good question. So I am like the opposite of the rainbows and sunshine kind of personality. I find it fake and it honestly just makes me mad. So I I need real, I need to be able to say, I am this close to packing a bag and walking out my front door because I cannot do this today. I'm out of spoons. I am burned out. I am sad. I am grieving this life that I thought I was going to have. I'm scared for my child's future, all the things. And so there's no sugarcoating here. The way that I have kept mothers together real, it is positive, but it's also real, is because we're not using Facebook. We are not using any platform where you're typing. Amen. No typing. No freaking typing. So we are using, and I love this small business that's quickly growing, but we are using the Marco Polo video messaging app. So this app is pretty straightforward and simple. It's it's meant for families to connect if they live overseas or in the military or whatever. But essentially, you leave video messages for each other back and forth. Mothers Together, we now have, I don't know, at the moment, like 500 members, but we've had probably about 1,000 come through our doors in the last two years. And all of these moms are communicating on the Marco Polo video messaging app. So there is no place to type out judgmental comments. You have to say it to their face. And Dude, I love that. it. That's genius. Did you start like with a Facebook group? I mean, we closed a massive face free Facebook group because it was just devolving into like, as Ugh. Facebook has a tendency to, yeah. just like mm-hmm. a dearth of, I mean, it's, just, it's just misinformation central. Yep. And I couldn't, yep. like, you can't stop the tide, the freaking fire hose in your face every day. But if you never started or allow people to write nasty things or snarky things, it can't happen. That's a great idea. Did you start there with the video messaging app? The very first two months, I did not. Um, I had, I didn't really know what I was doing. We we're trying to do weekly Zooms and that was hard to coordinate with people's time zones and things like that. But somebody, a mom suggested, she said, oh, what if we tried Marco Polo and and it was a, a game changer and everything else after that was done. The other piece to it is that when moms join mothers together, there's like a, you know, a little bit of a process, not a long one, but like you're going to fill out a form and you're going to talk about 
your struggles. You're going to talk about what you are looking for for support. Where are you struggling with yourself? What are you feeling that's the hardest part? Not what's your kid's hardest part. Yeah, you're making them talk about you. I love that because so often we just default to like, let me tell you everything about my kid. No, I don't don't care. What's going on with you? And I think that you have such a unique ability to keep it focused on the mom. Like this is about you and how you're doing. Because again, you can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. I know in your community, you match moms up. So I think this is so cool. You match them up either by by diagnosis, geographical area, the age of the kid is the point of when you join mothers together that you get, you get matched up or cause that seems very like one dimensional. Like what if I don't like the person that you made me talk to? Like, do you get to talk to other people or how, how does it work once you're in the community? Great question. And two, knowing that these moms have come through now for two plus years, originally it was very one dimensional. Like you said, over time, moms have stayed for years, months to years. And I've said, why are you still here? I'm so glad that you are, but what is keeping you here? You've already found your people. There is a natural set of patterns that I have picked up on and noticed that moms go through when they receive validation and support and encouragement for a long period of time. So it starts off very one-dimensional connecting moms, which I'll explain in a second. And But from there, then they're like, okay, well, I feel a little bit better. So let's talk now about the diagnoses or the sleep challenges or the feeding challenges. Then after that, they go, all right, well, I feel better about that, but you know, this is actually reminding me of my own childhood. And now I'm starting to feel like I'm unpacking some stuff about my own life. And they do that. And from there, the kind of the top pattern, the the top stage, if you will, is that moms feel so much better that they want to start helping other moms. So they say, hey, can I mentor moms who come into the, the Mothers Together community for the first time? Can I be a captain of a group? Can I help moms? Because I feel more powerful now. I feel more confident in myself and now I can help others. When moms first join mothers together, they're not ready to help others. They're like, I couldn't possibly help anybody else. And that's totally fine. So in when I get moms through the door, the big focus is on feeling validated and relieved, feel that sense of relief right off the bat. And so what happens is, I mean, that's, that is the focus of the community. Nowhere on in my description, am I talking about getting info on your kids? We all are drowning. Tips are great. Feel free to exchange tips and strategies tucked within the I'm struggling because. And so when we match moms, they are going to fill out a little form. We want as much information as they feel comfortable sharing because it's not just one thing. We're putting them in a group, six to seven moms called the pod squad. These become your people. This is your home base based on all of those factors we mentioned. So a mom might say, you know, I'm a single recently divorced mom and I'm really looking to connect with other single divorced moms. So we're going to make sure that we can put a couple of people in there that fit that description. But also you say, oh, you know, I have triplets. Okay. You're going to need to talk with other moms of multiples. So let's put, let's make that match happen. Um, And so we make these small groups from there though, because you're right, like not everybody's going to be everyone's cup of tea. So in the Marco Polo app, I have created over at this point, there's like 200 different threads that moms can join. So they've got their home base, they got their people, but now you're like, but I have, my kid just recently got diagnosed with sensory processing disorder and we're really struggling with socks. So I'm going to go into the sensory thread and say, Hey, my kid is struggling with socks. Does anyone have any good recommendations for seamless socks? And moms will jump on. Essentially you have access to all the moms and mothers together, not just the few in your squad if you're comfortable with that, as many as you would like to meet. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. 
Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Can you talk a little bit, you mentioned stereotypical judgments and the way that you felt when you first were entering this world with your own children. And then now with your work through mothers together, I'm sure there's sometimes, you know, misery loves company. Let's all talk about, you know, all the terrible things that have happened to us, but like, what are some of the stereotypical judgments that parents of neurodivergent children are dealing with on a daily basis, just to also help raise awareness about how this affects the mom's life in addition to the child's life? Yeah, great question. And I also do want to say that within each pod squad, there is a mix of both positive and negative stuff. It's, It's real. It's like a friendship, right? If you have a group chat with your best friends, you're both, hey, look, my kid just um got an award today and you put up a picture or, hey, my kid just tied their shoes for the first time and you put up a picture or whatever. It's celebration of the little things. And it's also like, guys, I'm drowning. I was up all night. So it's a mix of a normal, healthy friendship level. It's stuff. real, as you say. It's, it's not real. just the highlight reel like Instagram yeah. or just not the negative snarky comments like Facebook. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No. And I build it as, hey, these are your friends lifelong. You might want to meet up someday. These are the people you're going to be able to count on. And obviously, like I said, it doesn't always match perfectly, but most of the time it does. We're getting pretty good at this. Your question about, you know, these judgmental things. So that's what I'm doing on Instagram. I have this series, Why Moms of Neurodivergent Kids Are Struggling. Last year, I did a series, um, What Moms of Neurodivergent Kids Wish They Could Say Out Loud. It's the same kind of concept. And essentially every day, I once asked moms, tell me what, people say to you or the judgment that you get. And I had hundreds of messages. And honestly, the majority of them I can totally relate to, and I've heard them myself. And so there are all kinds of messages that we get. And that's what I highlight on my reels every day. I do a different one and a different thing that moms are struggling with. Because genius. Of those judgmental so that's comments. the ultimate user-generated content. You're getting them to like write totally. for you. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I, totally. you can't, I couldn't make this stuff up, you guys. It really no. happened. So that kind of leads into my next question then. How can we support moms of neurodivergent children? Like, what is it that they need? You've created this one-on-one niche community, but from a larger societal standpoint, what do you think it is that these moms need? Understanding, compassion, kindness. That's really it. Validation. The chance to just be seen and heard before anything else, before advice, before judgmental comments, before all you have to do is just, or have you ever tried, or... When I was raising kids, it was this way or that way. None of that. Just simply, that sounds really hard. Do you need help? How can I help? What can I do for you? It's simple kindness. Like it really just starts there. 
Because if you have uh, cried your eyes out over a tough school meeting, an IEP meeting or a 504 meeting, you know, there's something going on and you just want to be able to say, guys, this motherhood thing is hard. You cannot hear back. Well, you wanted to have kids. You wanted this. You know, have you tried just telling the teacher, like, maybe all you need to do is take screens away, blah, 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 right? Just how about, God, I'm sorry. It sounds really hard. I feel for you. I, I wish I could do something. Just let me know if there's anything, if you want to go for a walk, if you want to talk, just kindness, just basic respect. That is what we need. That's such a good reminder too, because I think this whole area, especially when we start throwing around diagnoses and terms and neurodivergence. And and if you're not in the thick of it in that world, it can feel very overwhelming. And I have friends with children with different behavior patterns than my own kids. And I don't know what to say. So sometimes I don't say anything, but you make a very good point. That sounds really hard. How can I help? What do you need? Has It doesn't, if your kid has cancer or your kid has autism or the mom is crying and you don't know why or she doesn't want to talk about it. It doesn't matter. All those questions are applicable. And just taking it back to that level of kindness is such an important reminder that you don't have to be an expert in these fields. You weren't an expert when you got into this. You And that's like, honestly, we usually interview like credentialed feeding experts. And I'm like, what's her background? Is she a psychologist? <laughs> like, no, you don't need any of those backgrounds. Cause those people say, have you tried? Have you done this? I mean, and I appreciate the work they do, but it's the mom living every day, day to day that needs to be supporting the other moms. And I think there's a lot of moms listening who are like, yeah, like we respect the work of credentialed experts, but we also respect our friends who are going through it. And we also want to help our friends if they're having a yeah, hard time. That's right. Help comes from professionals. Support comes from peers and why not? There's so many of us, so many moms and dads who are struggling that are not talking about their challenges. And you don't have to have a diagnosis for your child. Is this normal? Is this behavior typical? What am I seeing from my child at one, two, three, four years of age? There's no diagnosis yet for many, many kids. And so it's who can I talk to to say I'm worried without them thinking that I'm questioning myself as a parent, that I don't know what I'm doing. And so we have to have space for that. And hopefully, in Mothers Together, it starts small, right? But it it grows and grows. And so even if you leave Mothers Together, you can still bring the concepts of support, validation, um, acknowledgement, encouragement to moms in your community or in the school that your kid goes to or whatever. Like it's slowly but surely, that's the goal here is to sort of spread this simple message of just, this is really hard, like really hard. Not the kind of hard where you can go on a trip to Target and come back in two hours and feel better hard. I mean, like, mental health suffering hard. And there are people who can relate to that and and support you through it. Megan, where can our audience go to learn more about your work, about Mothers Together, and to support your business, but also support this movement of supporting moms who are raising children who are neurodivergent? Yeah. So I appreciate that. So on Instagram, which is at on the hard days, but there's dots in between each word. That is where I'm sharing my, my reels where moms have DM'd me and said, this is something I'm struggling with. The first place to support moms in general who are raising neurodivergent kids is there. You can share those reels. You can pass them along because sometimes it's hard to say to family members and friends what you're thinking and feeling. Um, and so I'm happy to help you with that. In terms of the, the community piece, every time we open the doors to Mothers Together, we start off with a free virtual open house. We think of Mothers Together as this big, beautiful, warm home. Obviously, it's all virtual, but that's the, the metaphor here. And so we invite you to the home to come to the front door, to drop your bags at the door and let us moms who are in mothers together, take them off your hands because we know how heavy they are. 
and we know how long you've been carrying them. And to say, hey, come get a, get come meet some moms, come take a look around, see what we have here for you. Um, and so that open house is quarterly as well. And like I said, it's totally free. So go to mothers-together.com forward slash open house. So mothers-together.com forward slash open house. And you can always email me, DM me on Instagram. Happy to chat with you. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you, the work you're doing. I don't know where you find the time to deal with your own family and then this huge community, but I, exactly. But I love how real you are about it too. It's like, you're doing a wonderful job. You're doing an incredible service and your children are so incredibly lucky to have you as their mom. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate it. Friends, are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.